We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Please go ahead and find a seat. And would you pray with me? Lord, as we open your word today, uh, we pray that you would surprise us with your goodness. Open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and fill us with faith and hope and with love. We come uh, with all kinds of needs. Um, but our greatest need is to know you deeply, really. Um, would you meet us, reveal your son Jesus to us, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. It is just super fun and sweet to be here. Uh, about six years ago, I think, 2017, Katie and Brent and my wife Cindy and I we had dinner on an Italian place, I think, on College Avenue. Um, and at that time, Resurrection Oakland was just a seed. It was just, you know, 
tiny little seed. It was just a dream. It was just a little zygote. Um, and, and here you are. Here, here we are. And as Brent said, we moved to Berkeley um, in January, mid-January this year. And I think in the first week that we were here, we got on board the Resurrection Oakland meal train. And if you've never been on board that train, I would just suggest get on it. It's, it's great. So Marquita, the first night, drove, I think it was in the rain, drove in traffic from Oakland up to our house in Berkeley. And she brought this Burmese superstar, like pork from heaven. It, it was just, and the next night, uh, David and Susan brought us a pizza that was from Zach's Pizza, and it's like this thick, just oozing with cheese. And the next night, the Ashby's brought us this chicken, I think it's their family chicken, that's just kind of fusion with noodles. And I said to Cindy, I love this church. <laughs> I, I already love this church, and we've only been there a couple times. It's just amazing. And I'm not saying like you should move, or get pregnant, or, get sick, just to be on the meal train. But if you happen to, just make sure you, you get on board. Um, as, as Brent said, I've been a pastor for a bunch of years in different places. Um, but about 10 years ago, uh, the Lord started planting a seed in our hearts. Uh, we, were, we were around our table, we were more and more international folks were coming. Uh, and in our house, more and more international folks were living. And in that, we were just having more and more fun. Um, and it's just magical what God does around tables with people from all over the world. Um, and I, I told Cindy, I said, this is what I want to do when I grow up. She said, finally, you know, you figured it out. And, <laughs> It turns out that there is a ministry. Our, our denomination has this, has like welcome the world mission, uh, ministry. And we've, it's called RUF International. It's kind of connected to what John and Morgan and Cameron do with undergraduates. But this is kind of a branch for um, international students and scholars and families and graduate students. Uh, and we're doing this kind of a response to something that God is already doing. Um, maybe you're aware of this, but every year there's this huge migration to the United States. About a million folks from around the world, this is unprecedented in the history of the world, that people coming from all over the world to be educated in, in the United States. And at Cal Berkeley, there's about 10,000 every year. I think this year is 10,200 and something um, folks, and in, in Romans, Romans 12, there's a verse, part of a bigger verse, but there's this little phrase, practice hospitality. And hospitality in the Bible is welcoming strangers. And our calling is welcoming strangers uh, as friends. Welcoming strangers as family. And the Christian church has this beautiful tradition of being a welcome place for all, all peoples. And our calling is that, and then to help stir that up, help churches get involved in that. 
Um, if you'd like to know more about our, what we're doing, you can't see this, but brought these, uh, these sunflower seeds. I found there's, they're golden teddy bear seeds. So like the golden bears, you know? And, and uh, they grow six feet tall, uh, but we'll have them out on the donut table. What a church, you get free donuts and free seeds. It's unbelievable. But on the back, it's, if, it's, uh, we'd love to have you pray with us. And so it says, you're gonna plant the seeds and then put this on your refrigerator and pray for us. And then when the seeds grow, um, take a picture with them and send it to us, and we'll, put, we'll pray for you on our refrigerator. Um, so, we're going to look at this passage from the book of Acts, and uh, I want to start off with a story. It's about somebody from Nepal, um, and a guy from India, and then an old guy from Canada. And just by the way, you know, Brent and David, when they come up here, they have these little notes, just little tiny notes. I used to do that. Uh, but now, like, it's font 22. <laughs> it's got, like, five words per page. So if it's like, why, is he, why does he keep turning the page? That's, that's why. So here's the story I love. Um, it's about Prem Pradhan. He's known as the Apostle of Nepal. Pradhan may be more responsible than any other person in seeing a handful of Christians in Nepal in the 1950s become 100,000 today. Pradhan was a Nepali Air Force officer stationed for a period in North India where he heard the famous Indian Christian Bhakt Singh speak at his military base. Pradhan was converted, went back to Nepal, and continued as a witness even during frequent imprisonments. So that's the Nepali guy. But what about Bak Singh, the person who led Pradhan to Christ? Singh was used in tremendous ways in India, starting a church planting movement that eventually brought more than 500 churches into existence. I helped plant one church, that's, you know, 500. How did Bak Singh come to Christ? Now listen, I love this. As an international student in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Singh had nowhere to go for Christmas break. While working out at the local YMCA, he met an old man. Struck by the peaceful face of the man, Singh commented on it. The elderly man, a Christian, asked Singh to spend Christmas with him and his wife. Singh did and became a believer. What then was the secret of the conversion of two great men and Christian movements in two Asian countries? It was the simple obedience of one Canadian follower of Christ to two simple words of admonition by Paul, practice hospitality. And that old Canadian guy is like my new hero. I, I haven't met him, uh, I don't know his name, but it's cold in Manitoba, right? and Christmas time, and he probably didn't feel like going to the gym. Uh, maybe he didn't feel like talking to anybody, but there he was, and this encounter happened, and he said yes. He said yes in a kind of a small way, opened his house, but it turns out that God uses small yeses 
in really big ways. That's how God changes the world. Often we think God needs to change the world from the top down. God often just uses small yeses, like seeds. The title of this sermon is The Matchmaker. Our youngest daughter is engaged to be married. And when you're engaged, everyone says, how did you meet? And they met through a mutual friend who kind of played matchmaker for them. I know this person, I know you, you should. She started doing shuttle diplomacy, you know, back and forth. And all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's joy in the Schuler house. Uh, and um, in this passage, we meet two people, Philip, who's Greek, and this Ethiopian man, and they both say yes to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit plays matchmaker between them, and we get to watch it unfold, and the result is joy in the desert. And I'm kind of a visual person, so it helps me in passages like this to kind of think of it in terms of scenes, like movie scenes. And so I've seen one, starts in verse 26, out on the road, the road scene, and scene two, verse 32, up in the, on the chariot, and scene three, down in the water. The road, the chariot, and the water. And each of these three scenes, we see the matchmaker at work, doing his matchmaking thing, connecting, uh, surprising, and invites us, the whole passage kind of invites us to think about how God continues to do that and how God is doing that in your life and in your world. So we'll take it a scene at a time. First one is out on the road. I love this one. It turns out that Jesus really likes to surprise people on roads. There are some famous ones. The road to Emmaus is very famous. These two disillusioned uh, disciples of Jesus are leaving Jerusalem after his crucifixion, and they're super discouraged. And Jesus comes up incognito and catches up with them and opens up the scriptures and then reveals himself. There's another famous road scene, the road to Damascus, where this Pharisee Saul is breathing murderous threats, you know, and he's going to arrest the followers of Jesus and put him in prison, and Jesus kind of ambushes him on the, on the road and blinds him, and they have this conversation, and through that encounter on the road, the whole world has changed, right? Um, so here in the desert, we got this, Jesus is meeting this uh, mysterious Ethiopian man, uh, but it's a different twist to it. Jesus is meeting him, not, you know, a direct encounter, but through Philip, through Philip and the scriptures. And that's how most of us meet Jesus, isn't it? Um, most of us, someone comes alongside, opens the scriptures to us, like that old Canadian guy uh, did with his Indian friend. And if you're exploring Christianity this morning, when you come to faith, 95% of you know, the time, it's not through Jesus giving you a direct revelation, but through someone else uh, opening the scriptures to you. So we're going to be looking at on the road Philip and then looking at this Ethiopian. I love this character, Philip. 
Um, Brent told you that we have 15 grandchildren. And I've tried to stay out of the naming of the grandchildren thing. Uh, but as they've kind of, you know, happened, uh, they've asked, well, Dad, you know, what name would you choose? And I just love Philip. I said, Philip. And that didn't really take for a while. <laughs> and then our daughter, with her fourth child, fourth little boy, um, they couldn't decide what to name him. It's like he was born, he was born in our bathtub at home. He had a home birth. And like three days went by, and they hadn't ch chosen a name yet. And um, finally, Sam, his, his dad, came out and said, we will call him Philip. <laughs> and and Philip here is, uh, I just, he's really open to God. As a, that's, that's one of the reasons. I, I, he has this default yes in his life. Um, and you've met people like that. People have a default yes to Jesus, and there's a joy about them, there's a freedom, there's a simplicity. They're full of usually laughter and good stories, and, and Jesus, following Jesus is not a dreaded thing, it's, it's more of an adventure. Philip is the kind of person who say, I wonder what's gonna happen to me next. And his backstory is very interesting. This is not the first time we meet him, his backstory started, he's Greek, and so they asked him to care for the Greek widows in Acts chapter 6. Um, and he says, yes, I'll do that. And then in Acts chapter 8, earlier here, uh, he gets this assignment to go to Samaria. And Samaria is like this Wild West place. Uh, let me just read how that happened. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. He's caring for the widows, and then he gets this whole different assignment, super intense, uh, casting out demons, and uh, his resume, you know, is starting to add up, and he's saying yes again. And now in this passage, this angel comes to him and says, I want you to go to this road and just wait. This is your next assignment. I'll tell you what to do. Wait for further instructions. He just keeps saying yes. And uh, one of the reasons I love Philip, he just shows us what joyful discipleship looks like. Uh, he's a follower of Jesus, and he says, I'm just going to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm going to say yes. And one of the ways that you can tell God is doing work in your life is that you're starting to respond like this. Not perfect, not always, but you're finding your default mode migrating, you know? Instead of the default being no, uh, and long negotiations about whether I'll say yes or not, you're finding that your default mode is yes. Um, and churches are like that too. There's churches that have a default mode of just, no, we're not gonna do that. And then there's churches that are like fill up churches and there's this sense of adventure. Um, so Phillips is yes and he's out on the road and he's not sure why, but he's not alone on the road. Um, 
Someone else, this very unusual character, we just want to talk about him for a minute, the Ethiopian. Now, Ethiopia would be 1,600 miles away from Jerusalem, so a round trip would be like across the country, you know, in a chariot. Um, it's described this way, and there was an Ethiopian, verse 27, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. I love this. He's out in the middle of, on this road in the middle of nowhere, and there's this dust cloud, and all of a sudden this chariot, and when you think of a chariot, it's not like Ben-Hur. It's probably more like a caravan, an entourage, maybe like the Magi coming, you know. Um, this man is from Ethiopia, so he's black. He's a eunuch. It was very common practice uh, to castrate young males and educate and train them for royal service. So that's what happened with this guy. He's the treasury secretary of Ethiopia, this ancient, beautiful kingdom. He's highly educated. He's refined. He's powerful. He's part of the Ethiopian elite. And so we're just wondering, like, what's he doing on, you know, going to Jerusalem? And it's very odd. It's kind of mysterious. It says he went to worship. But the thing is, as an Ethiopian foreigner and as a eunuch, you know, he was excluded from the temple, temple worship. Foreigners could become proselytes. But if you're a eunuch, he could only look in the window. So he's, he's doubly excluded, but he's there, and he's looking in the window. Uh, obviously, he's traveled for weeks. Maybe it was on business. But he has these scrolls, and scrolls were super expensive. Um, and he's pouring over them in his chariot. And so it's very odd, but we can see that the matchmaker brought Philip. You know, now the matchmaker is doing something in this man's life. And Philip doesn't need to come and try to make something happen. Let's read about it, verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The Holy Spirit is a matchmaker. He loves to connect. He does it through other people. 99% of the time, he does that. And that's really worth thinking about. You ever wonder that? Why doesn't God just send an angel directly to everybody? A lot of things get lost in translation, you know, through other people. Be a lot less expensive, uh, more convenient, more efficient. Uh, one writer says this, God doesn't come through the roof of our lives. He comes through the side doors, through other people. And the reason for that is because God has something way bigger than just snatching individual people. God is not just about, you know, making new human individuals. God has this, this vision, this dream from the beginning of a new humanity, of creation put back together. And this is how it happens, and it's humbling and it's scary but it's beautiful let's watch how it goes here so philip ran to him and heard him reading isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading and he said how can i unless someone guides me and he invited philip to come up and sit with him so the, the, the simon is stay with his chariot he's okay and he runs up and gets closer and then all of a sudden he hears uh, this man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and not anywhere 
in the prophet Isaiah, in the part of the prophet Isaiah, right where it talks most about the Messiah, and the Messiah who's, you know, tortured and crucified, the crucified risen Messiah is, is it's kind of the, the, the root from right here is where a lot of the New Testament uh, comes from. And I love this exchange. He comes alongside, he's running to catch up. He comes alongside and, he's, and he says, what are you reading? What you're reading, Mr. Ethiopian, you know? And my wife, Cindy, she's a doula, like a labor and delivery assistant. And her stance is just to come alongside and say, um, I'm here. I'm here, how, how can I help in this process? And that's what Philip is doing. And the Ethiopian says, I don't get this. I don't understand it, I need some help. It's pretty confusing and mysterious. And Philip says, I just happen to know something about this. Let me translate for you. And so the Ethiopian says, come on up. He gets up into the chariot and down the road they go. So that's scene one, on the road. And that leads to uh, scene two up in the chariot. But again, it just invites us to think about what roads are you on and how's God doing that kind of work in the church and your life. Um, so here's how it goes here for this particular uh, matchmaking scene. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So he's reading this dark passage about the victim and injustice and violence and this figure who was um, falsely accused. And in this passage goes on in the Isaiah and it ends by saying this, but after his suffering, you know, he will, he will rescue many. Um, and who is this? This is a great question. And a lot of the Old Testament scholars, they always look at this passage and they say, what is this really about? Who is this who is crushed by God to rescue the many? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told the good news, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he's up in the chariot and the scripture's opened, the scroll of Isaiah is right there and Philip just starts pointing. He's saying, let me tell you, right here, let's meet Jesus. Let's meet Jesus. Let me point, this is a Jesus. You know, the Bible can be a very confusing book. Amen? <laughs> yeah. And you're always like, well, what is this one about? And Philip has the key, and he learned that from Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples to read the scriptures this way. And he, he comes and he's able to say, Oh, Jesus is the lamb. Jesus was the one led to slaughter. Jesus is the one who was silent and didn't open his mouth. Jesus is the one who was crushed so that many could be healed and made whole. There's this beautiful line, by his wounds we are healed. And Philip comes into the side door of this man's life, up in the chariot. He's got the word and the Holy Spirit 
And it's Jesus meets this man through Philip and the scriptures, this unique Ethiopian elite man, miles away from home. He's meeting on this desert road, he's meeting Jesus through Philip, and the matchmaker is at work. Um, and the light goes on for this guy. He doesn't just say, oh, now that's interesting. He gets it, he says, that means, if what, if what you're saying is true, that means that I have a way in. I have a seat at God's table now. I no longer just need to look through the window. And the scripture, through the power of the spirit, becomes radioactive for him. And these springs are kind of bubbling up in the desert. You know, in, in Cindy's doula practice, she, she says, we are going along in labor, and all of a sudden there's this moment where everyone realizes the baby's coming, right? Get ready. And that's what happens here. This leads to the third scene, the through the water. Down, down and in the water. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love that. He's like, stop the chariot. See, there's some water. Can you think of any good reason where I shouldn't be baptized? And Philip's like, no. I can't think of any good reason. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This is so beautiful, right? The one who's been on the outside looking in, he meets the lamb that was slain, and the curtain is open, and every barrier is removed for him. Every barrier to God is removed through Jesus. And um, I love this. In, in Isaiah 56, just a couple chapters up from this, there's another scripture that applies directly to this man, and Philip, I'm sure, uh, opened it to him. Let me just read it for you. It says, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Don't say that, right? Let no one say that. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Don't say that. Because this, to them I will give within my temple and its walls, within a memorial, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Here's what you say. You say, I now belong forever. I'm in. Um, because, and, and Philip would say, Mr. Ethiopian, because Jesus was excluded, that's why you're included. Because Jesus was cut off, that's why you are grafted in and now alive in God's tree. And Philip says, I'm going to give you a new name, right? God's going to put his name on you and a new family and a new record. And he says, I baptize you now. You can see them down in the water. I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's your new name. That's your new family. You're still an Ethiopian, but now you're part of the family of God. You're cleansed and loved 
and included beyond your wildest dreams. Um, and Christ's story, he gets united to Christ, and Christ's story becomes his forever. And at some level, he gets this really deeply. And there's joy in the desert, right? Verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself, he's got a new assignment now, at Azotus, and he, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I just, I just picture these two coming out of the water in this great big embrace. You know, Philip the Greek and the Ethiopian in the desert, you know, now they're part of a new humanity, right? Uh, through the Jewish Messiah, God's putting the world back together again. As we come to the table, table speaks of all these things, but just a couple of things. Jesus loves to surprise people on the road. He loves to do that. And let him surprise you today. He loves to surprise disillusioned people. Um, he loves to surprise self-righteous, angry, religious people. He loves to surprise people who have come across the world to get a, a master's degree or a PhD. Um, and he says, I'm here. How can I help you? Second thing, Jesus loves to surprise people on the road. Secondly, Jesus loves to surprise people through other people who have been surprised. Jesus loves to welcome sinners through welcomed sinners. Um, and this is just an invitation to be aware. How's the Holy Spirit at work in, in this world? Very, the Holy Spirit is very, very active. Say, God, give me eyes to see. Help me be part of this, the fun of matchmaking. Um, how can I help? And then finally, um, this would it just uh, encourage you today to say yes. To say yes to the matchmaker today and find joy in the desert. And God uses uh, small yeses in very, very big ways. In your life, um, in our city, on campus, around the world, would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for your deep love in sending your son. Jesus, we thank you for your deep love in making a way for us at this table. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your deep love in coming to us, opening the scriptures to us, and opening our eyes and our hearts. Thank you for showing us that the place of suffering is the place of welcome. Thank you for uniting us to Jesus and your family. As we come to the table today, give us grace to receive you. Give us grace to welcome others in your name. Amen.